0: DJ PK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Wednesday from 2 to 7 at The Warehouse, 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! Sorry, that has to be done. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 Zone. Time to welcome in Dylan Cauley, the former BYU wide receiver. Dylan, good morning. Good morning,
1: good morning. How we doing?
0: Good. So as we watched BYU dismantle Boise State and just blow that game wide open in the third quarter, uh, we saw multiple receivers making big plays down the field, mostly Gunnar Romney and Dax Milne. And PKA and I have been debating, this is the best wide receiver combo, leave the tight ends out of it, this is the best wide receiver duo at BYU since, what would you say?
1: That's a tough duo. Duo is hard, right? I, I don't remember the last time we had. I mean, statistically, right? When was the last time BYU had even the potential for? Like, let, let's let's say they play. Even let's say they add one more game to the schedule, right? Uh, and you're looking at three more games. I mean. Productivity-wise, if this was a real, if this was a ten-game season, these guys are are on pace for what 70, 80 catches. So I don't remember the last time we've had a as productive duo. I don't, I don't think there has been.
0: In the you last twenty it, years, DJ? we had gone we had gone with your brother. Uh, Two thousand four, Austin had fifty-three yeah, catches. Watching right for 771 yards and Todd Watkins 52 catches for 1042 yards and that was that was what we came up the two of them 1800 yards 105 catches and 14 touchdowns combined it's been yeah. a while. it's been a while 17, this is elite 17 years. yeah this is elite wide receiver play for BYU this is this is really top shelf stuff you
1: yeah, know it, it's come a long way since uh 2018 when I led the team in touchdowns with a grand total of three.
0: <laughs> Little upgrade, two of
1: which happened in a bowl game. <laughs> <laughs> Good, not great. Good, uh, not great.
2: Yeah, that's a real startling statistic you put out there, uh, right there. Yeah, when you look at all these receivers, <laughs> and you include the tight ends, like with Rex, he's he's surpassing what tight ends have done just blowing pop by tight end touchdown receptions in the last several years. So, obviously, the passing game is clicking. And the, and the receivers, you know, they deserve a lot of credit. There's no question about that. Uh, but I think the credit, if we're going to assign uh, a distribution of credit, I think it starts with, obviously, with Zach Wilson and that bowl game, and then we brought it up before, but I saw you brought it up on Twitter where you said afterward that uh, Zach Wilson is going to go down as one of, if not the best. And then you put out on Twitter, uh, am I uh, I'm allowed to bring this back around because somebody put that out there? And so my thought for you, it's sort of separate in a way from BYU football, but it was such a bold statement. And I'm wondering, like, when the Collie family gathers for Sunday dinner or Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner, does the whole family just try to one-up one another with by making bold statements and then the bar gets raised <laughs> and see who can make the next bol- more bold statement and so forth and so on?
1: Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like we've done an okay job at keeping it uh, at least, you know, rattled down enough to where it wasn't until we actually, you know, had – at least a 90% really good feeling, right? I think we stay away from things that are more than like 10%, 20% risk uh, to be able to come out and make some claims. So, but yeah, it, it generally is. It generally is just kind of hot take after hot take. And it, when, it, when, it, when it's just all of us, right, I, yeah. I think we all feel uh, that we're, each one of us is right in our own
0: way. <laughs> is this and is, the
1: other is just way wrong? <laughs> <laughs> you're not just wrong; you're extremely wrong.
0: <laughs> now, now does mom does mom cool all this down? Because in in my family growing up, behavior was very different when mom was around. I had three brothers <laughs> yeah. and and dad. And it was just yeah. the, the rules were just different, and we all knew it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, she she tries. She <laughs> is the. She'll throw in she'll throw in a few good ideas. Let's just say that. <laughs>
2: when you look at these receivers, uh, obviously, they're just playing so well. Uh, how much do you think that their ability to play, obviously it's based on experience, but I'm wondering how much of their ability to get open now, is because of the tight ends, it's because of the running game, and it's because of uh, Zach getting time to throw. So my point being, you know, ultimately it's a team game. When you talked about a couple years back when you were having the team lead with three, maybe you didn't have all that. And now you have these other components that are allowing these guys on the outside to flourish.
1: At 100%. And, and you can also – You can also include the defense in that, right? It's, uh, you look at, right, you look at the reason, it kind of goes back and, you know, we can talk comparison or whatever, but a fundamental basis is this. When an offense or defense is producing in the way that BYU is currently, right, for instance, a defense, when the defense can put the amount of pressure, and you know 100%, right, that... The defense isn't going to give up a ton of points. The ability for you to play a very aggressive offensive game uh, is kind of wide open, and that's not a luxury many teams have. Uh, you look at the, you know, a, a huge part of why the Indianapolis Colts were so successful when Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis were on the defensive line, right? Because you knew that that pressure was coming. So when you have guys on the defensive line, the Kyrus Tongas, right? The Zach Dawes, um, you have the linebacking core that you do and you have the safety play. I mean, if you look at what the, the way Troy Warner has played in you know uh, this entire season, it, it's been absolutely unbelievable. And so when the offense can trust that and guys like A-Rod as the passing game coordinator can trust that, hey, we can throw, you know, I, I don't even know how many times... Zach is throwing the ball down the field. Right? It's it's unbelievable, right? And the a huge part of why you can do that is because of that defense. And then you start to look at okay, how's Isaac Rex playing? Unbelievable, right? The kid has what eight catches for six touchdowns. Um, you look at how right Algier and, and Pini Patel are splitting uh, carries and and where they're at, right? Like you can't just keep your mind on one person as a defensive coordinator uh, against any of these teams, right? And so it's a huge, huge success when everyone is clicking on all cylinders and then you even throw in the the special teams, right? And so it's a a huge confidence for everybody and you're able to really dominate a game and, and play in that aggressive manner when you can trust every facet of the game.
0: Dylan Colley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. Now it's kind of a football cliche about wide receivers having to block, and we and we've talked to you about that. But they did a good job on the 86 yard touchdown run of coming back from break and showing how you know I think it was actually a tight end in this case, but go downfield, make that block ten yards downfield, and and spring a guy. How you you played for different coaches at different schools. Is that mm-hmm. how much of that is consistently taught, and how much of that is lip service and you know you, you see a reporter with a camera coming so you start blurting stuff like that out to me, but it's not really true
1: yeah no it, it and when you have a good receiver coach um and and I did have right i I did have a fair share of good ones um you you have guys that it doesn't matter what happens it, when that film turns on, right. If there's a big if there's a big touchdown run, or if there's an 80 yard run, right that gets stopped, 10 yards short, as a receiver, you better believe, right, that you need to be downfield, right. Whether it be getting hands on guys or or setting what you call a high screen, right, or just getting in the way of people, you better be step for step with that running back. And if not, right, then it will get brought up in film, uh, and and you're going to be called out for it, and, and that effort will be continuous. And someone like Fessy, who you know, a lot of your play is based off of your effort and execution, and he tells you that from the very beginning. And he is someone that will point that out on a very, very regular basis. If you're not downfield making an effort for the running backs, right, then you can't expect the running backs to be there for you in pass protection, right? You can't expect other teammates to be there for you when you need to play like that. So I lift service I, I, there's there's not a lot of it.
2: You think Romney's NFL caliber?
1: That's a good question. Uh I I physically believe Gunner is, is NFL caliber. I believe that he, uh, there is a smoothness, right, that uh, he needs to work on, um, in, in terms of his route running. But when it comes to physically, uh, you know, as a physically and, and his ability to go up and get the football, um, you know, I would love to see Gunner go up uh, stronger with his hands um, and catch it as you know highest point right in a lot of situations but when you got three guys on you right and, and you're making the plays that gunner's making I, I believe that makes you pretty pretty nfl caliber
2: yeah cuz i see some similarities with your brother and him yeah i mean it,
1: it is it is a tough comparison right you, you look at you look at the way that austin ran routes um his senior year and you look the way, you know, do I think, do I think Gunner's a fourth round pick? Not quite, but he also has one more year, right? I mean, we look at, we look at what Cody Hoffman did. I think Cody's probably a better comparison for Gunner and Cody's one of the greatest receivers at BYU, right? Like it's between, it's hard to not put the comparison between wide receiver play between my brother and Cody.
0: So what does Gunner have that Cody has, and why Cody and not your brother? What's the what's separation there, the distinction?
1: Uh, I would go off of more so the size factor, right, the body makeup. Um, Cody and Gunner are very, in terms of legs, in terms of arms, uh, are very long, right? They're both long players. Their strides are very long. The route running is very different when you have someone that is, you know, has a much longer reach, has a much longer gait, than it is for someone who has right a, a shorter gait. And so sometimes, and now this is like you talk about what Gunner's done this, this year in terms of the amount of balls that he's caught, uh, the amount of plays that he's made, right? He's played unbelievable. When it comes down to the nitty-gritty of uh, of a receiver, it is a little bit more difficult, right, for a receiver who is longer, to run routes in a way that, you know, uh, in a way that works with, you know, these top caliber defensive backs these days, right? When you when you're going against guys who are dropped are literally, you know, dropping their hips and changing direction on a dime. Right. If you're six foot one, but you're long, you better be able to get in and out of your breaks, unlike anybody else. So I'm wondering. Conversation.
2: (laughs) I'm wondering how much of it is it goes beyond the physical skills, and I don't know Romney well enough. I mean, and I was down there every day working for the newspaper when your brother was playing so Mm -hmm. I got to know not that I got to know him personally but I got to know him as a football player and to me he simply was not going to be denied and whatever it was going to take he was going to do and I identified that with him as a freshman I mean when he was just Mm -hmm. a pup and it was clear to see he had the skill but he had the attitude and all that other stuff how much of that is the factor
1: that's a that's a huge part and I think we've talked about this before right it, it's you know like on defense having that right screw loose and on offense knowing that you you know uh, that you're capable of doing it there is a very very specific reason why uh, Austin had such a phenomenal relationship right and, and was so uh, compatible with Peyton Manning for four years or however long that was, right? Like that's not—he he doesn't have like a normal, like that's why that's why it's such a hard comparison, right? Because he doesn't have like your normal mindset. He's right, uh, top tier, right? I mean, you take out the injuries, he's a top tier athlete. He led the NFL in multiple categories prior to getting hurt, you know, for for six, seven straight weeks. You know, for a third of the season, he was statistically the best receiver in the NFL with Peyton Manning as his quarterback. And so um, that's why it is is a hard hard comparison. When it comes to Gunner, Gunner is a silent killer, right? I genuinely believe Gunner does have that confidence. You won't hear about it, right, Um, because he just goes about his business. But uh, he is one of the most humble yet, right, strong uh, strong willed competent brilliant um, receivers out there and and that's that's a huge part of why he has been so successful
0: hey let's go big picture here it's a it's a question we've been knocking around with our listeners uh, if you were Tom Homo would you add a game at this point or you've gotten so much mileage out of these first eight wins Bill ranked in the top 10. They look like, based on ranking and the hype they're getting, the fact that they're exciting, good quarterback, throw the ball, they look like they got a good shot at the New Year Six. Would you want to add a game at this point? Or at this point would you say, hey, win the last two and let's go to the Fiesta Cotton and we're good to go? Uh,
1: I, I say add one. I say add one if you can. And I'm not sure if that's me thinking in, in terms of Tom or me thinking as a fan. Um, but I would love to see one more game against, you know, and I'm not asking for a freaking, you know, power five, right? But I'm asking for uh, a good, a good football game that you can put in between the the directional Alabama game. Is it uh, North, Al- North Alabama or South Alabama? North, North. Okay, so against against North Alabama and San Diego uh, State. Because I think I think that's a very very difficult. You're going from the second week of November all the way to the second weekend in December, right? That is a huge huge difference and a lot of football you're missing out on. And if you could play one more game to kind of stay, you know, stay tuned, um, that I, I think that would be critical. Right to not only their success for hey let's talk New Year's Six let's talk about playoffs but let's talk right how are you going to play against San Diego State because although they did lose to San Jose State this last weekend right they're still a tough football team and the last thing you want to do is get caught flipping against a team like San Diego State so I would say add one preferably Cincinnati
2: oh yeah yeah if you could add that 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 would be awesome because that would shut up everybody if you beat them it just doesn't seem probable exactly. and i don't know beating another dog dog is too strong but beating a team that you're expected to hammer it seems like it's been there done that type of thing i do think well you know north alabama they're gonna you can combine north and south and throw in central and they'll still hammer all those teams <laughs> I, I do think that It's unfortunate to an extent, but it is in the world of which we live with college football. I think uh, if they get the opportunity, they need to administer a beating at San Diego State the way they did Boise. And if they put another 45-50 on them, I I just think it's going to be hard to keep this team out of a New Year's Day because they're going to have such momentum, and they're going to be a fresh story. And people want to see fresh stories.
1: Yeah. No, I I 100% agree. There's nothing I hope for more, right? And and that is why, that's really the only reason why I want to see another game added, right? It's not necessarily for the ranking aspect of it. It's surely for the football aspect of it. Just to be able to get them one more, even decent, right, football game so that they can go into San Diego State, there isn't this, you know, They've played one football game in two months by the time the New Year's 6 comes. And you're kind of talking fresh start, fresh season. It's difficult to go into an SEC, right? ACC football game and have only played one football game in two months. I'm 100% on board. Like there's, I'm 100% deserving of a New Year's 6 and even the conversation of a playoff. I just want them to play as many football games as possible so that there isn't this big lull in between November, December, and January. Strictly for preparation.
0: Dylan, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for checking in with us. We'll talk to you again next week. No doubt. Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver, join us. Coming up next, a Masters preview. It's November. Nothing screams Masters like November. Hey, it's 2020. We'll roll with it, and we will talk Masters next. Brian Taylor right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
3: This this, this is Hans
1: Olson and Scotty G. It's what you want.
2: So I'm trying to get my phone to not call me Hans. All right, try it again. Don't call me Hans. Okay, what should I call you? Hans. You'd like
1: me to call you Hats. <laughs> is that right?
2: No. <laughs> Hans.
1: You'd like me to call you Pants.
0: <laughs> the dumbest thing, like
2: Lance or Dance. What is my name, Google?
1: Your name is Hans.
2: Ah, stupid, dumb thing. Could you call me Hans, Ned?
1: You'd like me to call you Handsome. Is that right?
0: Well, it's better than Hans. Yeah.
1: Catch Hans
3: and Scotty every day.
0: Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer.
3: On 97.5, 1280
0: The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. This music works on a Sunday afternoon. It never translates to early in the morning. (laughs) Who wakes up to this? But clearly it's time for a Masters update right now. Brought to you by Uintah Golf. Brian Taylor joins us. You hear... Brian and and Bob Casper Saturday mornings on the Zone Sports Network, Real Golf Radio. Brian, good morning.
3: I could wake up to this every morning, DJ. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's,
0: it doesn't. It's just out of the middle of nowhere in sports talk radio. You're supposed to come back. You know, this, this is something with a ton of energy, blowing up you're, the speakers. And you're then you get this that,
3: that, that subtle piano music doesn't infuse a bit of energy into you. It's like one of the greatest sporting events of the. Of the year happening. I mean, that, that, that's the way I look
0: at it. But, you know, I'm a little twisted. So. I, I slump a little more in my chair and start to nod off. <laughs> but that has nothing to do with the music. All right, so it's November at Augusta. And, uh, you know, courses play different, different times of year. You know, here I think in Utah, people are used to the ball uh, really running in fairways as they get a little harder when you're playing late in the fall. But this is Augusta. And this, this course is pampered within an inch of its life. How different is this going to be?
3: A fall classic unlike any other, uh, you could say, right? So um, it's going to play different. I was listening to Adam Scott's comments yesterday, and it, it, one of the things I hadn't considered was that it would play a little bit more forgiving. So here's what happens, right? Augusta is down in the south. They have Bermuda grass. And that grass is meant for hot weather. And they, they, so the club is closed all summer long. They, it's a wintertime only. It's the way it was set up by Bobby Jones back in the 30s. And, and so they overseed the golf course with ryegrass. Well, ryegrass needs some cooler temperatures. That's where it thrives. It needs a lot of water. And so what they do is when they start that overseed process in September-ish you know, ish, uh, and they start growing that in, they work on it all the way up till April, and it is absolutely perfect when April comes around for the Masters. And it's super tight. It's a really fine grass. It's super tight. And Adam Scott said, you know, because there's no real level lie at Augusta, it requires a, an extreme degree of precision in order to execute shots off that really tight. Uh, turf, and so he said, if anything, maybe it's a little more forgiving because it's a little more sparse. There's still a little bit of Bermuda, and you know, poking its head out, so the ball sits up a little bit more. So it's a little bit more fluffy, if you will, and helps these guys to be able to to uh, to get a, a club on it a little bit better. So that was interesting. Um, we're expecting one to two inches of rain uh, in Augusta over the next two days, and then 40% chance of rain for the rest of the week. Um, that's good for the rye to grow. Not so great for contesting a major championship. Augusta do, ha, does have the sub-air systems and all that for the greens, but the fairways could get a little bit uh, sloggy, uh, which is a bit unusual for Augusta. But uh, So it's going to play different. I, I expect it'll play a little bit slower. Ball's not going to run quite as much as it might in the springtime, and, and that certainly lends uh, to some of the longer hitters.
2: So with all that in mind, if DeChambeau goes out and wins, uh, what is uh, the point of uh, trying to worry about precision and everything and people just say, screw that, I'm going to gain 20 pounds and just try to bomb it?
3: Yeah, you know, PK, it's, uh, it's, we're on the cusp of a game changer with what is doing, for sure. It's interesting, Most of the, I, as I've watched this, you know, in most sports, we admire the fact that an athlete will find a way to get bigger, faster, stronger, do things that we haven't seen before. We, we you know, we sort of remark at the, uh, his, their, their ability to, you know, transcend the game, if you will. Um, and in golf, we fear that a little bit, right? The game is afraid of that type of, of power and distance, and. I guess from some standpoint, it's, it's the fact that the, you know, a lot of these classic golf courses are, are landlocked and there's not a lot of you know ways to, you know, expand them. And, and we want to make sure that these courses continue to remain relevant, but it's this interesting fight, right? It's the golfer and the athlete trying to push the envelope and the game of golf with rules and, and golf course design, trying to push back to, to, to mitigate that, uh those gains. And so, it's interesting. Um, Deshambo is definitely coming with some serious bravado that I haven't seen at Augusta in 20 years. I mean, Tiger came out and 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 blew the field away in '97 and did and changed the game in his own right, right? He brought weightlifting and power and all that you know to a game that was much older and softer and slower. Uh, but he didn't really do it with the same bravado uh, that uh, Bryson DeChambeau has done, and so I think it's uh, a lot of people are bristling about it, but it certainly is something to behold, and I'm anxious to see how, in fact, it does play out. Hitting it long is one thing. Uh, It's a second-shot golf course. you got to get yourself in to know how to putt those greens. So um, that said, a whole lot easier to get close to the pins when you're coming in with wedges when other guys are coming in with seven and eight irons.
0: So hitting three woods over a green, I mean, this isn't – is this even the same game anymore, though?
3: Yeah, that, that's a head-scratcher. When you read about what he did in his practice round and he documented some of those tee shots, I mean, driver wedge into one, driver eight iron into two, three wood over the green on three, which is 335 yards, as you said. You know, we'll see guys hit drivers up there. I, one of my favorite places to sit and watch is right there at three green because you've got three green and four tee, the, par, the long par – three and you can sit there and watch guys and you'll see who chooses to lay up and have a full wedge into a kind of a tight skinny green and who's going to try to hit it right up to the front and, and work on their short game and try to pitch it up there close. But for it to hit three wood over the top of that green is, is phenomenal. And I'll tell you this, if you, if he does have, have that in him and that play can work for him, chipping back from behind which is essentially the 4T box chipping back onto the third green is actually probably the easiest approach um, to to that green as opposed to where you are if you lay it back in the fairway because the green rises up and you always have the risk of if you put too much spin on it and come up just a little bit uh, short on that green, you could spin it right back off the hill and, and, you know, 30, 40 yards back at your feet. So it it is remarkable what what he's doing and, and some of the lines that he's talking about taking and, you know, we'll see, right? I mean, he still has to execute. the The difference is, is he's going to have kind of a blank canvas to do it. There's no crowds, there's no roars, there's none of that pressure uh, from from the gallery standpoint, the patron standpoint that you would normally experience at these major championships. And so, he can just keep quiet in his mind and go out there and do things that people don't, you know, expect to
2: see him do. I read a thing on him, and he was saying that he thought that if these long drive winners in these contests that they have, if they learned how to chip and putt in their wedge games, that they could dominate the tour. Because he's going on distance. That's his whole philosophy. What's your thought on that? You know, I've had a chance to uh, be around some long
3: drive guys. Um, I've played golf with long drive guys. Most of the long drive guys I've played golf with are not very good. Um but it's, uh, as far as good at the game of golf, obviously they, they hit it a mile, uh, hit it over 400 yards. You know, that long drive contest is, you know, they have to hit it in the grid. And a lot of times they're lucky to get one out of eight or nine in the grid at that 450-yard mark or whatever. They're 420 yards, whatever it happens to be. And so, you know, that doesn't allow for uh, the, uh, the game of golf. You know, playing tournament golf, tour golf, doesn't allow for that margin of error. There's been a lot of guys that have come along. I mean, you think back on it, you know, Jack was a big hitter in his day. Uh, Sam Snead was a big hitter in his day. And what do you know? He won 82 times on the PGA Tour. So um, Jack Nicklaus, 70 times and 18 majors. And, you know, Tiger's, you know, now at 82, and he's a long hitter. So, you know, John Daly came on, and John Daly was kind of just a basher. That's really all we knew about him. But if you really look back, he was really underrated with his, you know, soft hands and touch around the greens. It was pretty brilliant what he was able to do, but he won on those big golf courses. So I think length is always an advantage. I'm not so sure that it's the only – I mean, I look back at – you know, we had Mike Weir on the show last week, and, you know, he won in 2003 – it was a bit wet. So it was short game was a premium and, and, you know, look, no lefty had won, no Canadian had won. And Mike was not anywhere near the length that you would have expected for a, for a master's champion. And yet he won. So I, I do think that there's a lot more than just distance to the game of golf, but as he showed at Wingfoot, uh, he was able to attack and approach uh, major championship tested golf so differently than what anybody else did. And, and, you know, talking to Tony Fino afterwards, he said, you know, what, it's, here's the thing about the design at Wingfoot it was it, the fairways were so tight you were going to miss them whether you hit three wood or hybrid or driver so you might as well get it down as far as you can so you have as much loft coming into the green as you can to get it out of that rough and and so maybe you're going to see that maybe you're going to see you know a little bit more of an inviting you know setup for golf you know in, in golf courses at the shorter yardage and more penal, the further you get up and encourage guys to lay up a little bit more. But, I mean, Augusta's wide open, uh, so uh, there is really no rough, so to speak, if you will, at Augusta. That You talk about that first cut could be a little bit, you know, or second cut could be a little bit longer, but that's not quote-unquote rough. So, I, I mean, this, I think distance is always an advantage. I don't think it's uh, you, you need to be a long-drive guy or gain 40 pounds in order to compete out there.
2: So whose
0: form do you really like? Who's really in a good place coming into Augusta? Who?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, if I'm looking at uh, my number one, if I only had one guy to pick this this week, I'd take Justin Thomas. Uh, I mean, Justin Thomas has got three wins on the year, eight top five finishes. He's a 13-time winner on tour. He's right in that spot where, hey, look, uh, I've won one major, ready to take on another one. Um, in 2020, he led the tour in strokes gain approach, tee to green, and he was second in strokes gain overall. And, uh, you know, he's 38 in putting in his last 12 rounds. So it's, it's that's good. He can be a good putter. He can be a hot putter. And, and the other thing I look at is, is trends. The one, the one thing I love about the Masters is you can look at historical data because it's played on the same golf course. Sure, the golf course changes, but you can look at things. And he's gotten better every single year. He went from 39th to 22nd to 17th to 12th. And I, I look at that and I say, okay, that, there, there's a guy that's trending. And not only, not only is he trending, but he's, he's one of the best iron players in the game right now. And so uh, I, I love Justin Thomas this week. Xander Schauffele is another one guys only played two masters, but he finished 50th in the first and then was runner up last year. So obviously uh, an awesome trend and another great ball striker. He's basically top 10 in all statistical categories uh, on the PGA tour. So his game is super sharp. And then Dustin Johnson is a bit of an anomaly, right? He had two weeks off for COVID, but the guy has just been, I mean, he's the number one player in the world. He's second in strokes game, just complete solid play three wins on tour. He's gone 6-4, 10-2 in his last four starts at Augusta, including a tie for second last year. So those are – if I had three guys, those are the three guys that I'm looking for, JT, Xander, and Dustin Johnson uh, going into this week.
2: Well, I'll let you know on the day before who's going to win, and then you guys can <laughs> – go You got that. P.K., come on. Well, who won it last year? Who's the reigning Masters champion? It's a uh, five-time winner, Tiger Woods. And who picked him out of the blue? Last year.
3: Did you really? Did you go T- El Gray last year?
2: Back me up, Sniggy.
0: The amount of grief Bob Casper got. Because after wow. years of pumping Tiger, and then he didn't pick him, and PK did when he won. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it was painful to watch. It was just, you know, I think Bob felt a little bit like Boise State with five minutes left in the game. <laughs>
3: Fourteen year drought, and you pick the one year he comes back. Hey, you know what? That's the magic of Augusta. You know, and and I'll tell you what: Tiger could. He's played awful uh, this year since he won that Masters. He's not been very good, and yet uh, it's Masters Week, and anything can happen. Shoot, Phil could win this week. I mean, you know, it's just that kind of stuff happens. But it's it would you wouldn't expect that to happen. That's for sure. But uh, I would never put it past him.
2: You wouldn't. You wouldn't. I understand that. I agree with you. You wouldn't. DK, any chance you can make an appearance
3: in the studio in, uh, Thursday, by the way?
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean,
3: we we, never... we, Bob and I have a special gift for you guys uh, that we're going to be bringing to the studio for you. So a little a little, a taste of the Masters that we have coming for our friends here at 1280 The Zone. So I know you guys have not been there to experience it, but we're bringing a little bit home for you this year. So uh, look that for is... that on on Thursday. So if you can make it in. I've be never been time.
2: there. I heard this year they're selling stuff online for the first time.
3: Exactly. Uh, that's it. And uh, if you if you are have access to the patron store, you can order uh, things. And, and Bob and I have access, and we we ordered. Uh, you, you actually, I mean, it's brilliant. Augusta's brilliant in their marketing, and they actually sell concessions. So we have the egg salad sandwiches, the pimento cheese sandwiches, the barbecue sandwiches, the master's labeled potato chips, the souvenir cups. The cookies, the popcorn—we're we're bringing it. We're bringing it to the home of the zone, man. We're gonna have a master celebration coming up. So hopefully you can make it in.
0: Yock, don't rush us off the air. We're talking food here, okay? Back up, Yock. <laughs> yeah, we got some for Yock too. Yock wants to go to break. Not until I find out more about these potato chips. Compare the master's potato chip to all the other brands that all our listeners see when they go to get the deli sandwich. You know, they, everybody's got the bags of chips up there. What what do they like?
3: Uh. <clears throat> unlike any other uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, thing tastes better with a master's logo on it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Kind of kind of like when you go to Disneyland, somehow the really crappy stuff tastes good because there's a Mickey ears on it. Well, this kind of has that same effect. So,
0: <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we appreciate a few minutes and we will, uh, we will use your tips in the draft with, uh, with Bob. We always have a, a draft before things get started. So we'll, yeah. uh, We'll use your tips appropriately.
3: I I hope that I can lead you down a good path. all right, Happy Masters Week.
0: Thank you, Brian. You got it. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Frank Dolce is coming up to talk Utes, talk opener with UCLA. PK will give you the odds on that one happening. We will talk about that coming up next. Uh, Frank will be here in about 20 minutes. Stay with us. Let's go. The Big Show. It's
2: a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott.
0: Apparently there is a bowling
3: alley having a naked bowler night. What a surprise Jeez. you picked this story. Well, it's uh, unusual. Lisa's pet name for me is Bowler. There is one particular item of clothing that everyone must wear. Bowling shoes. Boy, that's Whatever one time know? you don't want to see Harry pick up the seven ten split. <laughs> <laughs> you have a one-track mind, you know that? How do I have a one-track mind? This is an unusual event. What sport would you most prefer to? uh, No, I'm not not participating. (laughs) What about naked axe throwing? (laughs) The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
0: The Golf has another Masters giveaway underway. They're giving away the brand of punter that the victor plays. The Zone will pair the top 25 players with a listener. And a twenty-six listener will be partnered with The Field. Be caller number 12 right now. 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-ZONE. And if you're caller 12, you'll be given a golfer, and that is? Colin Morikawa. There it is. Caller 12 right now. 855-340-ZONE. DJ and PK, coming up, we're going to talk Utes. We're going to talk with Frank Dolce, the former quarterback, but a uh, a moment to talk Cougars here. The question of the morning, should BYU add another game to the schedule? And PK, you want to shut it down. This team has gotten to uh, an 8-0 record, which i got to admit, with the quality competition, I figured would get them to 20, maybe get them to 15. Uh, it has amazed me that it's gotten them inside the top 10. I think there's other factors at work here. I think the fact that a lot of teams have not been able to fatten up their record with some early-season gimmies, some early-season money games. The fact the SEC is playing conference games right out of the gate, and they've got to play 10 of them, not 8 of them, I think is going to factor in a lot of these teams not having the glossy records they usually do. So that's, that's probably working for BYU. But you think they're in a range. You're pretty confident now. They don't need an extra win to get into a New Year's Six Bowl game.
2: I don't. I I think that when you're starting to discuss them as a playoff team, well, if you're being in a discussion for a playoff team, you should certainly then be in a discussion for that New Year's sixth deal. No, that doesn't always work because obviously Utah was in that discussion right up until the end and then didn't get to go. Uh, Went to the Alamo Bowl. Uh, instead of uh, one of the higher up bowls, so it's not like it's a guarantee. But I just think in this year of unusualness, particularly with the Pac-12, which seems to be going down the road of playing fewer games than we thought originally scheduled, and so and that's going to wipe out their legitimacy of their conference race. If you, I don't know how you declare a, a winner of a conference who they play five games when you should be playing ten. I mean that's just. Draft because you'd have the nine conference plus the conference final for a total of ten conference games. Right, the winner uh, of the Pac-12 plays ten conference games. So does the loser in the in the conference final. And so you're going to play half of those potentially if you get one or two more games canceled. So that, I think that really just eliminates them in that way. And so that elevates BYU's chances. And I don't know what playing another AAC team that isn't uh you know a high Cincinnati or th- that type of team basically that's pretty much it this year what good is it going to do you and you like you've already done that so you're going to beat them again or some another sunbelt team I-, I just don't see where that is a big advantage now if you want the game for financial reasons as a fan i totally want the game i'm not ta- i'm talking about from BYU's perspective as a fan that i am I absolutely want them to play. The more games the better for us and our business. So but I'm looking at it from their perspective, not my perspective. Personally, I'd love for see them add two more games, even if it's uh, uh South Alabama and Central Alabama. I don't care. <laughs> Give us something to watch and talk about. But I think from BYU's perspective, what do you have to gain from that? I don't see where you have to gain a lot. Just go ahead and we, we assume, you know, the, the win over north alabama is going to be comfortable and then go ahead and basically smack San Diego state upside the head in the way you did boise i don't know if you can do that but try try to put 40 45 50 on them it doesn't really matter how much your defense gives up if you put 50 on them because you're going to get in on the strength of your offense and the exciting nature in which you play the game so try to score as many points as possible within reason. I mean, it's in two minutes to go. You're not throwing the ball by any stretch, unless it's a close game. And then I think they got an excellent shot to get in. And so I would just, I would just let it ride as is.
0: They've got three open dates. One of them, Tom, has made clear they're not going to fill. That's the one coming up this weekend. But those other two. Now, Yach, you were saying what? about Army because rescheduling Army is one that I think would jump out of people Army's 6-1 yeah, yeah. They're putting all for the, so, that yeah they're putting together a good season their only loss is to Cincinnati now they're not ranked but they are among others receiving votes
2: yeah so I you guys know I do the Locked on Cougars podcast and I was talking with one of my sources down there in Provo and this was last week and the word I got back is that Army essentially has no interest in scheduling BYU and putting them back on the schedule this year, right. and so that looks like that one's probably dead. An additional to that is BYU, going to your point, PK, they're content sitting at the 10 games. If they have an option for an 11th game pop-up, they're not going to say, outright, no, we won't play, but they're more than happy just to sit where they're at right now.
0: I never would have guessed that this schedule at 8-0 would have them 8th in the country. Sure. Yet, nonetheless, there they are. 2020's weird. Yeah, 2020 is weird. But I think that was the logic early in the year was, well, they'll have a chance to add a game, and they'll need to to get the respect because this schedule isn't going to bring it. But they're currently sitting top 10. And but this schedule 30. has brought it yeah. against against all odds. And I think timing is everything. I think playing Navy on Labor Day and having Herb Street at the game and having him just pump them up week after week. And they doubled down by beating Houston, and they doubled down again by blowing out Boise State. I
2: don't think it's the schedule. I think it's the nature in which they won. Because if they would have had a bunch of close games, the schedule would still be the same. And I don't think they would be getting the love that they're right. getting. And that's the thing that yeah. Herbie's been talking about on Saturday night. He said it's a 43-15 to 15 scoring disparity. He's yeah. just beating the crap out of teams. That's what they're getting is that Zach Wilson, is uh, he's an exciting player to watch. And he's fresh-faced. He's a friggin' Richie Cunningham of college football. <laughs> oh wow! When, when you look at him, and he just—he's in it. He just draws you in with the way he plays and the way he looks. I mean, those women uh, broadcasters—I forget who they were—but they were talking about his looks, big time.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the the key going forward is BYU gets better at other positions, and as we see the NFL, and we've been over a million times, how the NFL is just not drafting BYU players. The draft picks are few and far between. And now you see a team where there's clearly a handful of guys who are going to be drafted, and then there's clearly another handful of guys who could be drafted? We'll have to see how it plays out. Some of them you know, are a little maybe on the young side and have to, you know, have to see how they develop over the course of the next year or two. And all of that matters. But, man, it really matters to have high-end quarterback play. All positions are not created equal. That position has such an impact on the game. And he looks like he's off to the NFL, but are they going to have more NFL caliber play at that position down the road? Because if they do, it's a game-changer.
2: Well, that's obvious. Yeah, of course. I mean, I mean that's something that you always need, and they feel confident that they do, but we'll worry about that another time. For now, it's this year, and ride Zach Wilson as far as you can take them. I think they're going to get in, because I think they're going to win comfortably these next two games. That could be wrong. I mean, certainly next game we're not talking about. We're talking about San Jose State next month. And uh, you know, you got to give the Aztecs time to improve themselves. You just can't base it off of one game that they lost. Okay, all right. They lost. It happens. Uh, But that doesn't mean they're not a quality team in five weeks when they come to Provo to play. Uh, So I don't necessarily think it'll just guarantee that they'll be able to just, Cougars will just roll over them. But I think they've got to try to. And if they do that, then the dust settles and they did everything possible. They sought out teams and they couldn't. So I think that's going to be uh, a longer benefit, too. They, even though they didn't play a high level team, at the same time, they ducked no one. Even though they didn't play them, they didn't duck them. This is the rare opportunity in which you, you didn't play them, but we didn't duck you. I mean, so you're going to get credit for not playing somebody that you wanted to play. That's how crazy it is.
0: We're talking youths with Frank Dolce. Former Utah quarterback, Utah insider for the Zone Sports Network. He joins us next to look ahead to UCLA if that game happens. We'll talk with Frank. Stay with us.